Welcome to Cannabis Business Minds, where we bring together the brightest minds to help you build a better business. Cannabis Business Minds is presented by live-consulting.com and found on cannabisradio.com. Here are your hosts, Simone Samaluka-Radzins and Kristen Yoder. All right, so on today's show, we've got Terry Blevins, who's a former police officer that has led several incredible leadership roles, including the head of security for Beats by Dre. Terry currently is the CEO of an LA-based security services firm, a volunteer with Leap, and currently working on a leadership book. Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to talk to you and hear about your evolution from being a police officer to a security company in the cannabis industry. Thank you. I love talking about marijuana. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. And I saw that you were a police officer for the Maricopa County Sheriff's Department. Yes. I'm from Arizona. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have a single friend that didn't get arrested for cannabis at least once growing up. And I know it's really interesting to watch Arizona change now, but are you still in touch with the police officers you worked with? I actually am. I have a lot of friends who are still in law enforcement and retired from law enforcement in Arizona. My parents and my son and his wife and child still live in Arizona. Yeah. So, and I visit often. So, and I stay in touch with, with a lot of my law enforcement friends. Has their perception changed with the passing of medical cannabis in Arizona, or is it still met with resistance? Well, there's still resistance, but it has changed. uh, I've seen a lot of the attitudes change. Mm -hmm. You know, they, I, you know, I'm proud of my service in law enforcement, and Mm -hmm. I'm proud of my brothers and sisters as well in law enforcement, but uh, unfortunately, you know, and they care, they care about their communities mm-hmm. and but unfortunately they were they were misinformed they mm-hmm. didn't know the facts they you know saw uh, a danger that marijuana was going to come in and create a blight in these communities cause crime mm-hmm. to go up and they were worried yeah and uh, but that hasn't been the case yeah. it's been legal in Arizona since 2011 so yeah. Um, and it just hasn't been there. And specifically in the last community where I was a police officer in uh, uh, Gila County in a small town mm. called Globe, mm. they allowed one dispensary to come in. And it's the highest taxpayer in the town. Mm-hmm. I bet. They <laughs> love the revenue, the tax revenue from yeah. it. It's a very respectable business. It has not caused a crime. There are people sitting around outside smoking joints, you know, cur- yeah. causing problems. I mean, it's just... It's, so the police there, and a friend of mine was the police chief at the time mm-hmm. when they brought it in, and fortunately he had an open mind, so mm-hmm. he was open to it. A lot of town councils, they look to their police chiefs yeah. for advice. They're mm-hmm. like, tell us, is yeah. this going to be a bad thing, you know? And there was there were a couple of council members, one in particular who's been active in, in, the, uh, in, in uh, marijuana activism for a long time, and uh, they were really open-minded about it, and they brought this business in, and it is—it's been great. It's just nothing negative. Yeah. Nobody has anything bad to say about it. Well, and I that's feel like so that's—that's nice. that's what we're seeing. But so, I don't even know the story. We've met, we've hung out. You know, we're both based in Los Angeles, and we knew that we wanted to get you on the show because you're this wealth of knowledge. But how did you evolve from, you know, security, well, from police officer to security to now being very active in the cannabis community, you know, your role with LEAP and just really trying to change the perception? Can you talk to us about that? Well, thank you for asking. I, It's been a long road for me. I'm mm-hmm. 53 years old, so it's it, it started... Uh, you know, and I wouldn't have guessed that I was going to be, you know, a, a marijuana activist mm-hmm. um, per se. But um, in high school, I smoked a little pot like mm-hmm. a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. I didn't see a problem with it. It just didn't seem like that big of a deal. A couple of years later, um, I, a lot of my family has been involved in public service. Mm-hmm. And uh, I liked the idea of being a cop. It was, you know, I wanted to help people. And mm-hmm. so... When I decided to become a cop, they asked me all of these questions about whether I had done drugs or smoked marijuana. And they're sort of including all of these, you know, marijuana with all of these really hard drugs. And and I I just didn't get it. From the very beginning, even though I was young and I was impressionable and I knew I had a lot to learn, I just didn't get it. Mm -hmm. 
And then I had a life-changing experience that, that it was just incredible. I, I had only been out of the academy for a few weeks, and I was still with my field training officer. Mm -hmm. And we stopped a young uh, black man for uh, a traffic offense, mm -hmm. and the car smelled like marijuana. Mm -hmm. And so we found uh, a half of a joint in his uh, ashtray. Mm -hmm. And so my field training officer told me to, to arrest him. Hmm. And so I said, okay, I was doing what I was told. Yeah. So I, I put the cuffs on this kid and he asks, he says, uh, is this, is this going to go on my record? Hmm. And my FTO, I didn't know. I was yeah. new, you know, and, uh, and my FTO said, yeah, he said it's a felony. It's going to go on your record mm -hmm. as an arrest for a felony, and depending on you know what the outcome is, uh, and this boy got quiet and mm -hmm. he started tears started mm -hmm. streaming down his face. Not tears of anger, just tears of yeah. sad. I could see, and I asked him what was wrong, and he said, "Well, he said I have a full scholarship to an Ivy League school, and he said, and I will lose that if you oh arrest me for this." Mm. And um, I actually get a little emotional. About I'm like, it I'm I, tearing up. I, yeah. it, this is really it crazy. It really changed my life. Mm. So I I realized at that point, I said, you know, and I even asked my FTO. I said, "Do we have to do this?" Yeah. I said, "Does this? Yeah. Does the punishment fit the crime? We're going to ruin mm. this young black man's." life because mm -hmm. he had half a joint in his ashtray yeah. and it just didn't make sense to me. So yeah. I, I, that was my first experience. And from then on out, I always tried to avoid, mm -hmm. you know, there were certain requirements at times, you know, but I always tried to avoid arresting people for marijuana because it just didn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. I saw other crimes, you know, that, that, you know, other ways that we could use our, our, police resources mm -hmm. that I felt would have been better spent and we were focusing on marijuana and then we were going after you know Air, uh, Arizona's uh, in certain areas a uh, very um, arid uh, arid mm -hmm. areas where mm -hmm. the you know mountainous where there's a you can grow marijuana mm -hmm. so we would go after these marijuana cultivations and spend a lot of time and effort and money to mm -hmm. go after these things yeah and I just never I never got it. And I, I spoke out against it to mm -hmm. a point, but, you know, I didn't want to ruin my career. It's hard. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So it was really difficult for me. So eventually, um, I, I transitioned over into uh, the corp corporate security. Mm -hmm. And uh, like you said, I, my last role was with Apple. I worked with corporations like Apple and, mm -hmm. you know, where the message is really important. And so I just always had to sort of bite my tongue mm -hmm. about these things. But yeah. once I left the corporate world, I I felt like I could I could say something about it. Yeah. Well, then I I got into security, and I saw that that there was a need. A friend of mine actually suggested. He said, you know, mm -hmm. there's going to be a big need for security yeah. in the cannabis industry. And so I came into it with an open mind. I I really started researching. I didn't think that there would be a problem, you know, because mm -hmm. I had, but my experience was anecdotal. So I started doing research. I found mm -hmm. university studies um, and reports that were issued by city councils and by county governments, basically a saying that, uh, that you know, they had very limited complaints mm -hmm. against these businesses. Um, the legal, the legal uh, licensed regulated businesses, mm -hmm. you know, there were there's there always a, there's always the illicit market that it, don't comply exactly 100%, and those yeah. are the those are the the areas that have most of the problems yeah so i i just i came into it with a i came into it with an open mind yeah. and uh and i started seeing that it just wasn't and i i started seeing what the police leadership was saying these police chiefs and sheriffs were saying they were being interviewed for these articles and and yeah. uh, TV interviews, and they're saying all of these negative things. What were they saying? I, I mean, because I, we grew up with the war on drugs. I remember when I went to college, I stopped smoking. Like I smoked a lot in um, in high school, and then I think it was the war on drugs and this in this perception. Um, so I guess my question is, what were they saying? Like, what is the message that the police officers were conveying that it was so negative to the public? Well, they were saying that uh, crime was going to go up. Hmm. 
And there's a 65-page report, uh, white paper, that was done by the California Police Chiefs Association mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. And they go in and they, they list all of this anecdotal uh, information about mm -hmm. all of these crimes that happened surrounding marijuana businesses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The problem is that they're illicit businesses. Mm -hmm. They're not talking about... There are very few crimes that happen around legal licensed regulated yeah. marijuana businesses it yeah. just it, there's just the statistics just don't bear it out but they have these 65 pages and there's some town councils that refer to that oh, wow. that report and say look you know here you go this is the California Police Chiefs Association they are opposed to it we're not going to allow uh, cannabis businesses in our city because of read this report. Well, mm -hmm. nobody wants to sit. I read it. Yeah. I made notes on it with a <laughs> highlighter. I found, you know, very little information that really, honestly, if you were to read it, would mm -hmm. support the belief that cannabis uh, businesses, licensed regulated cannabis businesses create a problem in the communities yeah. where they're at. Wait, yeah. I, I have one thing to say to that. You're speaking about California, right? Yes. Or other states well, too? Can, well, can... California specifically, we haven't even been regulated. We're just now finally coming up with regulations. So free, at the state level, even in cities. I mean, look I at mean, look Berkeley, at LA City Council. LA, look, LA I mean, yeah. a lot. San Diego. All of these places are just now starting to regulate it. So when it comes to illicit cannabis businesses. I mean, that's most of them out so there. So I understand right? what you're saying, and I totally agree with you. And that was why I started mm -hmm. looking in like Colorado, yes, Washington, and okay. there, there, uh, there have been one study in particular, a University of Texas study that uh, uh, looked at quite a few states over about a 17 year period, because there have been states um, in the U.S. that mm -hmm. have had medical. Uh, like uh, marijuana, mm -hmm. yeah, for um, over ten years now, mm -hmm. and so what they did was they went into these states, they mm -hmm. looked at the crime rate prior to uh, legalization okay. of medical marijuana, mm -hmm. and then they looked at the crime rates after. Well, one of the great things that has happened in the U.S. in the last twenty uh, plus years is that crime rates in general have been dropping, mm -hmm. and uh, so they said, "Well, we don't, we don't want to, you know." be dishonest. We don't want to say, oh, well, look, the crime rates fell. Oh, so yeah. what they did was they compared them to other states that hadn't legalized marijuana. And they found that the states that had medical marijuana mm -hmm. had the crime rates were dropping at a quicker rate mm -hmm. than they were in the states that did not have medical marijuana. And one of the things, and they're conducting some studies on this, they don't mm -hmm. have any real hard facts on it yet, but one of the things that they're saying is that people substitute marijuana for alcohol. Mm -hmm. And alcohol has historically been known to have more violent effects on individuals. Oh, yes. I, even as a young police officer, I used to say, I never got a call from someone who said, my husband smoked a joint and beat the crap out of me. Okay. Exactly. I, just, yes. I never got that call. And yeah. I went to a yeah. lot of domestic violence, a lot yeah. of family fights. Yeah. And I just never got that call. And I used to joke about it, but now... It honestly, it rings true. I mean, I look at these university studies, and that's what these uh, people are saying. Yeah. These university people are saying is that they believe that that's probably why the crime. <clears throat> and the other thing, too, is uh, you just, if someone can get marijuana legally, mm -hmm. they're generally going to do that. If, you know, if they can go get, easily get mm -hmm. a medical marijuana recommendation mm -hmm. from a doctor and they can get medical marijuana, they're, they're going to do it. They're going to try to be legal. And what that does is it really diminishes the black market. 100%. And the black market causes a lot of violence because there are territorial disputes. There are, think about it. If you're running a, a, an illegal marijuana business and somebody owes you money, are you going to take them to court? No. no. You're yeah. going to use violence Absolutely. to get your money back. It's just yeah. automatic. It goes with the territory. I never yeah. thought about it even in that perception when you just compare it to just like, hey, you owed me. Like, you don't have an AR. You well, don't have a collections person yeah. that you can go out. You could owe me $100 and, and I yeah. can't take you to court. In I have Los to use Angeles, violence. Uh, yeah. Since we haven't been regulated, a lot of times, because I've worked with dispensaries, delivery businesses, when they've got robbed and it's like, 
I don't, I'm not calling the cops. What are the cops going to do? Are they going to go get the money back for me? No, that's in However, California. Yes. However. And that's there, because they're unregulated. Yeah. There have been cops that were like, that's a crime nonetheless. Like, we want you to call us so that we can take a report because a robbery is a robbery. It's yeah. not about you own a dispensary. We're not coming here to raid your mm-hmm. dispensary. But if you don't report it, then we can't prevent it in the first place. Which I appreciate that. And there are a lot of good police officers out there. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of a Mm crapshoot. Oh, yes. A lot of marijuana businesses don't want to make that phone call because they don't know who they're going to get. I agree completely. But I have seen it. I've seen it. where Well, thank you for that. And I've seen it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, that's the way it should be. It is. That's one of the perversions of, of law enforcement that has happened that really infuriates me is that we feel like that we can yeah. impose our own personal, you know, emotions and feelings on how we do our jobs. No, you you it's, have a responsibility, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, even if someone is committing an illicit act or a crime or whatever, and they're injured in the, in the process of that, um, as long as it's not a violent yeah. act... Um, sometimes people bring things on themselves, but if they're, if they're just committing a nonviolent act and, and they're, and they're victimized because of that, they're victims. Absolutely. They should be seen in the, in the, in the eye of the law. They are, the law doesn't say, oh, well, you know, if you hire a prostitute and she stabs you, you know, you, you, (laughs) you're guilty. Yeah, exactly. You don't don't get to be a victim. The law doesn't say that. So as police officers, we really should try to... We have a lot of discretion in law enforcement, and in some ways it's good, some ways yeah. it's bad. Yes. Yeah. It's all about education and training. It's time for us to do some sponsor business. More Cannabis Business Minds when we return. This is Bobby Black, host of Blazin, here to talk to you about 420 Science. I've known Matt and Gary from 420 Science for over a decade. We've spent a lot of time together at the Cannabis Cups in Amsterdam, the Doobie Awards in their hometown of Austin. They were even at my wedding. And I've always admired their integrity and how they've built 420 Science from the ground up to become the most trusted online head shop. Visit 420science.com slash podcast for an exclusive deal on pipes and more from genuine people who put their customers first. That's 420science.com slash podcast. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the host of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Great minds think alike because they listen to Cannabis Business Minds. Presented by live-consulting.com, only on CannabisRadio.com. And I think it's it's education training and really education because that, yeah, and this is a perfect segue to LEAP and your role with LEAP because you're going to educate these people. So on our last podcast, we interviewed Jackie McGowan about California bans, and she was telling us that one of the hardest things for her is that she will go into the city and, you know, it's either a city council person that's kind of upset or sometimes it's the sheriff that just can't figure it out. So tell, for those that don't know in the audience, what's LEAP? And what's your role in LEAP? Well, LEAP is uh, it's a national organization. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was called Law Enforcement um, Against Prohibition, but they changed okay. it to me uh, uh, to have a broader uh, role mm-hmm. uh, in social justice. Uh, now it's Law Enforcement Action Partnership. Okay. And uh, I uh, am... I, I when I found out about the organization, mm-hmm. I, I always wondered. There've got to be other cops out there that feel the same way that I do. They're like, "What? What yeah. is the, What are we doing here?" Yeah. You know, and 
And sure enough, there is an organization. There's over 5,000 members oh, I didn't know throughout that. the country. Oh. Uh, they have uh, The headquarters are in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. so they really try to impact uh, drug policy. And uh, there are speakers uh, all over the country, um, and I'm, I'm one of those. And we just try to advocate for uh, changing drug mm-hmm. policy, uh, reducing harm in general, uh, we're opposed to over incarceration, mm-hmm. to mandatory sentences, um, and we basically, you know, we we basically have just said, look, we lost the war on drugs. Let's just face it. Yeah. Okay. Now we need to win, and we did a lot of harm while we were fighting that that yeah. war, especially on people of color, mm-hmm. and. So now we need to try to turn around and see if if we can fix that somehow. Mm-hmm. And the big part of that is, like you said, educating police officers mm-hmm. about the realities of legalization. And and it's great. A lot of things have changed. Uh, uh, Pew Research Institute recently mm-hmm. did a nationwide study, um, and seven out of ten police officers believe that marijuana should be legal in some in some form, oh, nice. um, four out of 10 for mm-hmm. adult use and, mm-hmm. and seven out of 10 for uh, medical use. And, uh, and when you look at, at the, the lower ages, the mm-hmm. younger police officers, it even gets higher than mm-hmm. that. Unfortunately, some of us old yeah. <laughs> uh, guys that are stuck in our ways, you know, yeah. may not always uh, yeah, be yeah. as, and unfortunately those are the guys that are in leadership. Yeah. So those are the people that we run into that are police chiefs and, but we're getting more and more younger people and they're just more open-minded and yeah. so it's we believe it's the, the trend is changing and we believe that the attitudes are going to change it's just uh, well 100 so i just i have a question about leap do police chiefs reach out to leap to be like hey come in and talk to us or how, how do, do you guys interface with other police officers well, to educate them or it's it's not usually so much them reaching out to us uh-huh. because yeah, if you go on say, the website, you yeah. can see right up front what our ag- agenda yeah. is yeah. and basically yeah. what our issues are, and they're generally not in keeping with most of these police chiefs and sheriffs. Yeah. Uh, but what we do is we try to. There are some though. Uh, uh, there have been a couple of police chiefs uh, that were actually founders of the organization, mm-hmm. and they saw this themselves, and they weren't happy with it at the time. They and so they tried to change their departments, yeah, you know, to their focus, uh, so that they weren't so mm-hmm. hell bent on you know on on fight on going after people for petty drug offenses. So is it an active reach out on Leap's behalf? To educate police officers. Yes. And yeah. Every opportunity. We speak to everybody. I mean, we, we speak to law classes. We speak to um, community groups. Mm-hmm. We speak to everybody. But if we have an opportunity to speak to a group of police officers, um, we, we do that. And, it you know, of course, sometimes they can be a little hostile. Yeah, because yeah it's I bet. Not, doesn't well, really they've, been, they've been trained not to, right? It's just this whole thing about changing their perception. We have to do it all the time. We can't, you know, we don't have enough advertising channels in the cannabis to community to show, hey, look, these three people that are having this podcast right now are very professional. Terry is wearing a suit and a tie. I mean, that is a hard thing, I think, to transfer over sometimes to, oh, this cannabis, reefer madness, and this, this complete war on drugs. Well, at the same time, there are a lot of states left in the country that... It's not legal at all, medically or recreationally. Well, I think there's more than 40 states that have legalized cannabis. Or CBD. CBD. Or only tinctures, you know. But I would think that for LEAP, those would be much more difficult states to speak to the police officers because it's still their job to arrest people for cannabis. So even if they have, like, a life-altering experience, it's like, crap, now I feel guilty doing it, you know? Well, so two questions on that. How do we change that? Like, I mean, that's Leap's goal is to how do we change this? How can we put this, how can we change the public's perception to understand that cannabis is safe? Because, so the, the I guess the second part of that question is, children usually the argument is my children are not going to be safe. Like, that's what Jackie was saying. Like, for her, it's the biggest battle when she talks to the sheriff it is it's going to get in the hands of the children. Um, what's, I mean, so that's, that was a two part question, but so what do you think, how do we go about this? Like, how can we, as the cannabis community assist sleep, assist in changing the public perception so that 
we can end this war on drugs. I think the most important thing that we can do is have a compliant industry mm-hmm. uh, that ensures that we are uh, complying with you know rules and regulations and mm-hmm. laws, and that because that's the way that we're going to dispel all of the myths. Yeah, um, like you were talking about, uh, Kristen, the the myths, uh, you know, about the industry that aren't true. Yeah, and so. Uh, because it gives them fuel. The more th- bad things that happen, it gives them fuel. If somebody gets gets uh, injured or killed in a in a mm-hmm. dispensary robbery, or mm-hmm. uh, a child gets a hold of some edibles or something and ends up in the hospital, mm-hmm. um, and that ends up on the news. Uh, so it's important that we try to you know to stay compliant and that we do things in the proper way, and then we don't give them ammunition. Um, the other thing is we just need to stay active. We need to we need to go to these government meetings and mm-hmm. let people you know know let government officials know that we're respectable people and that we we believe it should be legal and we you know we agree that it should be licensed mm-hmm. and regulated but uh, that it should be legal and um, law enforcement officers respond to their politicians mm-hmm. the city councils the board boards of supervisors uh the state legislators they're the ones that give the money to these law enforcement agencies mm-hmm. so we can put pressure on these politicians and let them know how we feel i've been talking to a lot of politicians in the last couple of months and it's amazing to me how misinformed they are and mm-hmm. how a lot of them don't have this information it's been a huge privilege for me to be able to sit down sit down with a couple of state legislators and members of city councils and just educate them on these issues and at times they're like wow I didn't know that you know I tell them about these university studies and mm-hmm. they they're just and so you know and they've got a lot on their plate they have yes. a lot of issues that they have to deal with homelessness and all of these other exactly issues that at times probably take priority over the cannabis mm-hmm. industry so um I, it's we just need to try to educate them and and hold them accountable and get together i mean the way that we've done on the, the city of los angeles uh uh, uh ordinances mm-hmm. you know recently that uh we we voted on um low voter voter turnout i'm sure that there are more people in the industry or that support than yeah. actually showed up to vote so it's just really important to vote and to let the the politicians know yeah Exactly. Well, I think it's interesting that because with the police, like the L.A. County Sheriff's Department are talking about 20, we want $25 million to shut down everyone in the unincorporated areas until we've regulated them. And I think a really good point for the the politicians to be like, we need regulations so that you have something to hold people against besides just the laws give them an opportunity to act you know as responsible cannabis businesses instead of everything being a crime yeah i mean because so for, they're in control but the police seem to have a really large voice when it comes to affecting the city council yeah well and for me i mean like so one of the things that you see working in a regulated market is so i mean like i climbed like oregon washington is that sometimes regulators don't understand business operators in the sense of like, hey, and I feel like this is the crux of the problem in Los Angeles with the $25 million fund to put these guys out of business until they're regulated. It's like, well, hold on. You could, these people actively want to be compliant and regulated and um, don't put them out of business. Let's like use that $25 million elsewhere. They've been trying yes, for years. They've been trying to, for years. So it's interesting. Yeah. And so I guess the solution, because I always like to think, okay, this problem sucks. What can we do is to continue to go to city council and talk. Well, regulations. It, it worked with this, with Los Angeles. Yeah. Because now Los Angeles has basically said that we are only going to use uh, stormtroopers, law enforcement, as yeah. a last resort yeah. to go in and shut these businesses down. Mm-hmm. We're going to find them and we're going to shut off their water and power. And we're only going to do that after we've given them plenty of opportunity to become licensed. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And That's unfortunately, the way to do it. you know, Jim McDonald, the, the LA County Sheriff, mm-hmm. is a powerful voice. He's mm-hmm. widely respected, uh, very opposed to, you know, the, the cannabis industry. And let's come um, on the show. I just wonder yeah. why. Why is he opposed to it? Wouldn't it make your job easier if you didn't have to deal with that whole aspect? Yeah. Well, 
it's honestly, I think it's pretty intuitive. Yeah, I, right. I, I mean, I look at it and I evaluate the evidence, and it seems pretty obvious to me. So yeah. I have trouble at times understanding why yeah. these police leaders are so opposed <clears> to it. <throat> the only thing I can think is I can just tell you that, unfortunately, uh, law enforcement officers historically have mm-hmm. been very resistant to change. Mm-hmm. We get stuck in our ways. We don't like change. We like to do things the same way. And That's it's every just, organization. Yeah. yeah. That's at some true. point. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we just... Uh, I think that some of these older guys, like I said, that are in police leadership their whole lives, they were, you know, told how bad marijuana was mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and they did see it an illegal element to it. They saw a lot of people that were involved in other types of crimes that were also involved in marijuana. Mm-hmm. And so they just have this this ill conceived perception that uh that is just absolutely not correct and they've just stuck to it. And I think that like the politicians, they're they have a lot on their plate as well. So mm-hmm. they're just misinformed. They don't have all the facts. Like I said, you know, when I sit down with some of these police chiefs mm-hmm. and I talk to them and I tell them, show them these university studies and I show yeah. them the facts, they're like, wow, I didn't know that. You know, they I might not get them to flip immediately, but you've switched something at least. I get them to start thinking, yeah. and I say, look, please read these things, and you will understand. That you have been lied to, honestly. Yeah. You've been lied to for decades, like I was lied to. Mm-hmm. And we need to, to take a new... Yeah. We, we need to look at this with a fresh perspective. 100%. And, well, and that's what you're doing. So, I mean, like, I want, I want to segue into security in the cannabis industry. And one of the things that we mentioned was, you know, the fact that the public, it's... A lot of people are against cannabis uh like this the law enforcement because of the public this public safety aspect and i've noticed working with clients with the banking issues there's a lot of cash that these guys have on hand the ones that have licenses that are trying to get it to the bank and that's a huge public safety risk right and i think i'd love for you to spend maybe a few minutes talking to us about what should these guys be thinking about in terms of making their business safe not because they have to be compliant, because we already know they have to, and they have to adhere to the compliance standards set forth by the regulatory body, have this amount of security cameras, you know, have these procedures. But I think a lot of times people don't know why is that so important. Can you talk to us about that? Well, you're absolutely right. I, I've, you know, I help uh, businesses, cannabis businesses, prepare their business plans, mm-hmm. Um at least the security portion of that business plan mm-hmm. that they submit to the regulatory agencies that are deciding to license or not to license. And, uh, and so I have to understand all of these, the regulations, what the requirements, the licensing requirements and what they are requiring. Sometimes your security plan can be as much as 30 or 40% of your overall points that you get percentage wise wow. of your overall points. When you, apply for a license with some, you know, regulatory, um, body. And so it's a, it's a huge part of that. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to help businesses do that. But when I study all of these requirements, very often what I see is that they're just the bare minimums. Oh, wow. Really? Probably because they don't under, I mean, you would have to come from security, a security background to know, you don't, know, you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is what you're here for. Well, that's why I've been trying to talk to these uh, politicians, these legislators, local and state legislators, trying to let them know. We don't want to put undue burdens on yep. the businesses. And each business is different. Each business has a different risk profile. Some yep. businesses are in neighborhoods that are difficult, mm-hmm. uh, that with high crime, mm-hmm. and others are in you know neighborhoods that aren't high crime. So... We have to look at that individually, and and I just want the uh, cannabis businesses to understand that um, they have a responsibility. And, uh, you know, historically, uh, cannabis businesses having been unregulated, they may not have always operated uh, with any sort of governance. You know, you and mm-hmm. I, Simone, have talked about corporate governance. Yeah. and and. Uh, but one of the things that happens in business, especially once we become mainstream, we have to uh, comply with these uh, uh, best practices that, mm-hmm. that the corporate world is using. 
And one of those concepts, having been in corporate security myself, uh, there's a, a, a legal concept called duty of care. And I believe, first and foremost, it's a moral duty of care that we have to our employees mm-hmm. and to our customers uh, to keep them safe. But it's a legal duty. And as a business, if you don't keep your employees safe and they are injured or killed during the course of doing your business for you, carrying your cash, carrying your product, working in your dispensary, um, you could be held criminal uh, or civilly liable for mm-hmm. that. It happens all over the U. It happens all over the world. Yeah. Corporations daily, oh, yeah. almost daily, have to pay out huge settlements to their employees or the employee's family if the yeah. person was killed because they uh, weren't didn't protect them. No, absolutely. So when I used to travel internationally, I would go to high-risk countries and we would get a security profile. We had to have like yeah. armed services escort us places. And this was because there was all that corruption and it makes sense. Like legally, if something happens, if we got kidnapped, if we got harmed, the corporation that I would work for would be liable. No, nobody's talking about well, this in this industry at all. And in that example, I'm thinking of the lab or there was a BHO processor in Oregon mm-hmm. who didn't have the ventilation right or something, and yeah. they had an explosion. And it applies to safety as yeah. well, yeah. not just so security. but it's, Exactly. It, yeah. That's why there are those like posters in every business. Yeah. It's how many days without an accident. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So, and with a cash-intensive dispensary, you need to protect your employees because you're a higher risk of getting robbed, right? Yeah. Or like in a cultivation, yeah, each one has its own security threats. Yeah. To address. Absolutely. So the other thing that that has been of major concern to, uh, well, of course, you know, the cannabis businesses want to keep their their, yep. their cash uh, and their product safe, and there are certain measures that they can take to do that. And we're more than happy, happy to help them do that. Um, but, uh, several marijuana business owners have asked me about, uh, insider theft. And in the industry, we call it, we call it insider theft or the insider threat. Yes. And, uh, they're worried. They're saying, I know that there is, uh, you know, pilferage in my business. I know that, you know, that for certain people, what do I do? And, you know, you can implement all the security measures that you want, and mm-hmm. you can you can minimize those things. But I believe that it's more important to approach it from a proactive uh, uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, uh, we uh, at Armaplex we have a program that we're developing that uh, involves uh, employee uh, engagement, uh, training, and mm-hmm. engagement. And one of the things that we understand in the security industry is that if you treat your your employees badly, people Mm -hmm. want to be loyal. Yes. Okay. They they want to be loyal, but if you treat them badly, they're going to be disloyal and they're going to steal from you. And we've done these studies where we talked to, to employees who were in trouble for stealing from their company. Mm -hmm. And one of the most common things that they say is they say, well, they treated me badly. They didn't pay me enough or they cheated me out of this or that or whatever, or my boss is, is a real jerk to me. Mm -hmm. And they felt justified. Now there's a certain number of those that are just misguided and they're going to feel that way no matter what. But we find that a a large percentage of those types of incidents could be prevented if companies were more proactive about, uh, uh, yeah, about yeah. treating people with dignity and respect. Yeah, it's, just it's all the about tone at the top. I mean, so this, it's just so funny. That's why I was like, we have to get you on the show. Our work goes hand in hand. Like we're all we think about is like the corporate governance framework. How, how do processes work? How are employees treated? Because all of that in a business cycle is interrelated. And I think I, I want to segue a little bit into leadership. A lot of it goes with, how you treat your people, how you motivate them, because with shrinkage and with that type of theft, it's the opportunity. It's also like it's the fraud triangle. Right. And and it happens in, you know, the, the manipulation of financial statements. But then when we think about cannabis, it's, hey, you've got a ton of cash. You've got a ton of uh, cannabis. And so do you have a the inventory controls, but even B, if you don't, and if you've pissed off an employee or if you haven't instilled that tone at the top and really treated them loyal through a mission statement, through a development plan, through all these things and training, yeah, the risk is, is there. 
it's time for us to do some sponsor business. More Cannabis Business Minds when we return. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him, pink, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber Vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Great minds think alike because they listen to Cannabis Business Minds. Presented by live-consulting.com, only on CannabisRadio.com. The buzz phrase that I've seen used lately that I know a couple of people that are experts in this area, Mm -hmm. and uh, I've actually been talking to them about helping us with this program that, that we would like to roll out and offer to cannabis businesses is employee engagement. Yes. And an engaged employee is not going to steal from you. Yes. Period. I mean, if it seems like an oversimplification, and it might be in some ways, but honestly, it really isn't that hard to treat your people with dignity and respect. No. It seems hard because a lot of businesses, we've all worked for really crappy bosses. Yeah. We don't have that many awesome bosses that we can look to and say, wow, that person was amazing. You know, even though they were strict with me, they still treated me with dignity and respect. It's just, you know, so Businesses right are people. It's, exactly. That's, you don't have a business without your people. So really. It's very it's common advantage. sense. It's, it's totally common yeah. sense, but I think it's just, and so this is what, we don't have enough time. We have to get you on the show to talk about leadership because I want to have a whole segment on this. But, you know, so maybe somebody's listening and they're like, okay, wait, I'm a business owner. <laughs> Somebody's stealing from me. Oh, I better probably talk to Terry. So we'll put all your info on our show notes. But What's like one thing when we talk about leadership in the sense of it's hard to understand how to be a good leader, you know, and it's to me, it's all about how you've you really have to understand like this new lens of thinking. Talk to us a little bit about leadership. Well, for me, it's about introspectivity. And we had talked briefly about the fact that I'm writing a book on leadership in my spare time. (laughs) And uh, it's the name of the book is called Introspective Leadership. You think you're an eight, but you're probably a four. Oh, wow. And Harsh that's, words. well, it's the truth. When I, when I taught leadership, I found that I would, I would do surveys at the beginning of the class and uh-huh. I would say, what type of leader are you? Rate yourself. What type of leader you are with your people? One through 10. Mm-hmm. The average was always eight. Then I would ask them, okay, <laughs> rate your boss. The average was always four, around four. <laughs> It's like, then I would show them those and I would say, okay, you honestly are going to tell me that your boss is a four and you're an eight? Wait, trust me, that I've taught this class. So it's all about introspectivity. It wow. really is about, about leaders constantly asking themselves if they're doing the right thing, if they're being responsible. And, uh, and in the cannabis industry, because we're such a highly regulated industry, mm-hmm. the boss can't be compliant by themselves. They yes. have to get their employees engaged in, in being compliant, and that all comes through leadership. And you can't just force them to do that. You can't just yell at them. 
you have to make sure that they understand that that's important to you. It's important to the business. Mm -hmm. It's important to your investors, to your partners, whoever is involved in the business. You have a responsibility to do things in a compliant way, and and the employees have to be engaged in that. Everyone has to understand their parts. Once you see your part in a company, it's easy to understand to be engaged with what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Exactly. And the other part of that, I believe, is holding people accountable. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, sometimes we either go one extreme or the other. We're either too nice yeah. or we're too harsh. It You can be a good boss and you can, uh, you know, treat people with dignity and respect, but people actually like to be held accountable. People mm-hmm. like structure. They like to be able to operate within a framework where I know exactly what my job responsibilities mm-hmm. are. Yes. I know exactly what, what I can and can't do. And most people operate. There is a small percentage, 10 to 15% of employees will always act outside of those boundaries just because that's their nature or whatever. Mm-hmm. But And there's 10 or 15% of people that will always comply with that. And then there's the percentage in between. Those are the people that we have to work to keep engaged all the time. And, and that is only can only be done through really effective leadership. Wow. Communication. I mean, very yeah. important as well. Right? No, we have to get you on the show yeah. next, like an, another. I don't know if it's in the next few weeks to I talk about that. leadership. Yes, yeah. are you ready for the speed round? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Let's do All this. Right. Okay, as a business leader, how do you make decisions and stay ahead of the market? Well, for me, it's really important that uh, that I make decisions that reflect the interests of my investors and my partners in the business and that I protect the business. But it's also really important to me to be socially responsible when I make those decisions. And I think that one of the things I love about cannabis industry is that you have so many amazing people Mm -hmm. that care about, uh, about being socially responsible, about doing, you know, helping people out and, um, so I, I, the people that I've met mm-hmm. love that idea of do of being uh, doing things in a in a in a right way that helps the community and and we need to make sure that we're giving equal access and that sort of thing. So um, the, I think it's important as businesses that we uh, that we do that. Uh, always keep that in mind. Um, but me personally, one of the things that I do as far as uh, to stay ahead of the market is. I, the last few months, I've been going to you know uh, six or eight meetings per week, government meetings, wow. industry, industry networking that's events. A lot of work. Yeah, it, it has really kept me busy. That's why, I like bet. I say, I don't have a lot of spare time. But I've been going <laughs> to these meetings, and it's all about just understanding what the latest regulations are, what what these cities, counties, and the state are doing, and uh, just trying to keep abreast of of those things because that's really the way that we're going to yeah. be able to make decisions in this industry. That uh, it's the information, yeah. it's the information source. Yeah. If someone's just getting into the industry, what is something that you think they should know? Well, I think everybody should understand first and foremost that you're going to have to be compliant. It's it's you know the industry, especially like you were saying before in California, has gotten away with it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was a hands-off approach, and that's when I started getting in the industry here and really researching it and seeing it and talking to these governmental agencies. I realized they had basically said, they weren't openly saying this. They were just kind of like quietly just stepping back and saying, okay, eventually we're going to have a licensing uh, and regulation structure, and once we do that, mm-hmm. we're going to require you to, to be compliant, and you're going to have to do it. But for now, it's just kind of like, you know... Take mm-hmm. uh, the hands off and, you know, take a step back and we're just going to let you do your thing. And that's what's been happening. But I can tell you, I know what they're thinking. I know what they're planning. They are implementing this structure. They're going to require people to be licensed. And the businesses that aren't licensed are going to be put out of business. Mm-hmm. Some of them may be even arrested. So um, it, uh, even though that's not the best solution in my mind, I can tell you that that's where they're where yeah. they're headed so i uh, just know right up front that you need to be compliant and uh that you're, you 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 just need to plan for that you know you need to make sure that you're always uh you're always compliant the other thing that uh one of the things that i've noticed is uh 
you know, it's it, like we talked about, we mm-hmm. really need to have corporate governance. We need to be sure that we are uh, following best practices and that we're uh, following law, not only laws, but also within, you know, the the best practices according to business, the way that we do business in the U.S. I've heard a lot of uh, small cannabis business owners say that they're concerned about these big corporations coming in mm-hmm. and taking over the industry. I can tell you that the best way for us to either slow that down, I don't think we're going to stop it, mm-hmm. but the best way for us to slow that down and keep the opportunity in the hands of of the small operators mm-hmm. is if we learn how to do things their way. Yep. Okay? If we try to do things in a non-compliant way that isn't in keeping with best practices and the corporate world comes in and they show that they can do it better than we can do it, mm-hmm. they're going to win. Mm-hmm. Okay? So... We have to learn their way of doing things, how to be uh, uh, compliant mm-hmm. and how to to have that governance. And once we do that, then we can fight them at their own yeah. game. And yeah. so that's really important. So I would say anybody coming into the industry, those are really important things to keep in mind. And I have a lot of other things, but I know that we're kind of short <laughs> yeah. on time. So. Yes. Well, I mean, you're correct in all of those. Compliance is definitely key. Um, where do you see yourself a year from now? Well, we at Armaplex, we hope to to be actively protecting cannabis businesses, um, keeping their assets safe and their mm-hmm. people safe. Uh, we, uh, we hope to have increased the number of businesses that we are working with. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the reasons I'm getting out and talking to everybody because I believe that we have a good service and a good product and the right attitude and um it's really important that uh you know that we that that we let people know about that so that we can help them out um and in a year a little over a year i'd like to for us to be seen as the leaders uh in the uh, cannabis security industry in california and with our sights uh set on being uh the same for the industry nationwide the national uh, security cannabis industry uh, it's important. Uh, we we mm-hmm. plan on expanding and and doing this at a, at a on a greater scale. Lead look, by example. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Wait, and your book? Will your book be done? Um, I'm hoping. That's what <laughs> I'm working towards. Yeah. So. I, I want to read. it. I know. I want to read it. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, you are such an incredible wealth of knowledge. I Thank believe you. that you're going to achieve that easily within the next year. I want to see how we can help you. Um, for all those that are listening, we're talking to Terry Blevins, who is the CEO of Armaplex, uh, a security firm that's based in Los Angeles. We'll put all the notes uh, on our website. But thank you so much thank for sharing you. your knowledge. Oh, thank Kristen. you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Cannabis Business Minds. You can download episodes of our program by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and very soon on iHeartRadio. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.